0: Welcome to another edition of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Mike Jackman, and I am joined today by author, investigative journalist, and uh, just overall you know, gumshoe sleuth, Mr. Russ Baker of Going Deep with Russ Baker on Substack as well as whowhatwhy.org. Russ, we had you on back in 2015, so uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a few, few years, but thanks for joining us today.
1: Oh, a pleasure. Wow, that's a long time. <laughs> a few things have happened since then.
0: Yeah, I think our world's become a little bit more cartoonish and a little bit more surreal in a lot of ways.
1: Unbelievable.
0: But uh, yeah, I I wanted to have you on today because I know this is something I think you've probably been digging into maybe since the week it happened, you know, during those crazy hours afterwards, Um, and that's the Boston Marathon uh, bombing, and uh, Netflix, of course, just released a uh, three-part series on that, and today is not the anniversary of the exact day, but today is the Boston Marathon, Uh, so it's in the news, so wanted to bring you on and, and, uh, kind of get your take on, you know, where we are 10 years with that. Um, I guess I'll just start with the documentary. Have you seen the Netflix series? I did watch it. What was your, uh, what, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Well, I mean, you know, it's a look, anything that's going to be on a, a major corporate platform like that, uh, I, I'm, I think Netflix is is probably gutsier than a lot of places uh, and they do that in part for business reasons that there's demand for gutsier more candid material but I think nevertheless there's still some sense of uh, boundaries and I think that documentary epitomizes the boundaries uh, it's mostly based on the uh, comments of people from the major law enforcement so the you already go in with an assumption that those people are the ones you want to tell you what happened. Uh, but of course, I'm a journalist, and so I would never assume that people from any large institution, whether it's a bank or the FBI or something, are necessarily going to tell you uh, what you need to know. I mean, they, I, I'm sure they're fine people, and I'm sure a lot of what they say is accurate, but they have a job to do, and their job is not the same as to inform the public. Um, and, uh, that's, that's why we, uh, you know, investigative journalists, independent journalists, that's why we exist because we are not, uh, beholden to any particular institution, whether it be government or uh, campaign contribute contributors or anything else.
0: Right. You want to, you want to get down to the truth and that's what you've always been about. And that's why I respect your work so much. Um, you literally wrote the book on the Bush dynasty, family secrets, which, uh, is an amazing, uh, I mean, it's probably like that thick, I I, I need to read it again, I uh, often will just turn to a, a chapter to look at if I have a question about something in some area of research, whether it's about, uh, you know, Bush's intelligence connections, or um, the JFK assassination, or something like that, but uh, with, with the documentary too, um, I thought it was pretty well done, and it really showed, you know, kind of the minute by minute what happened the day of, and then the hours afterwards, but I agree, I think they left a lot out, Um, I was one, I was watching it kind of wondering like, okay, when's uncle Ruslan going to pop up? And, uh, he really just had what amounted to like a glorified cameo. Um, but he's always been an interesting figure in the Boston marathon. He was the, uh, uh, bombings. He was the uncle, of course, of the, the two bombers and he kind of brought some levity during that week. Um, when everybody was, you know, afraid and, uh, angry and confused, he he appears on TV calling his nephews losers. And, you know, he's like this kind of, kind of you know interesting character but um you've certainly done some digging into him uh what do you think about his uh, appearance in the series and what can you tell us about uncle Ruslan? well uh
1: i have to say that in the uh annals of family crime i cannot recall too many instances where a relative called a press conference and announced that uh somebody from their family was accused of something was basically guilty, <laughs> Uh even before there'd been any kind of investigation or trial or anything. Uh, I mean, my God, I mean, one of his two nephews uh, was, was dead. And the other one, uh, I believe when he, he was uh, being sought and he said, you should turn yourself in. And then he, as you say, he called them losers. I, I don't, I think it's a very rare, you know, he, even, in a worst-case scenario, where uh, the person's relative maybe had a track record of of, of of violence, I don't. I just don't remember. I'd love to have your listeners contact me. Let me know examples where they remember that somebody uh, called a press conference and said, "My nephews, or my cousins, or my brother, or something is this horrible person," uh, and how could I help? You know, um, and and so that already is is really you know way under one percent. A uh, probability, and then you add the fact that Uncle Ruslan um, was married for a number of years to the daughter of a very high-ranking CIA official. Now you're you're down to uh, an infinitesimal probability. Uh, has that ever happened before that uh, uh, somebody who blew up something like the Marathon was related to somebody uh, who's connected at high level uh, in the CIA? And of course, uh, that uh, his his former father-in-law uh, was in charge of CIA operations in Chechnya and other sensitive parts of the uh, former Soviet Union. So I thought it was all very strange uh, that he would call the press conference, that he would accuse him. And by the way, let's keep in mind that these his nephews had never committed a felony before. They had never committed a, a violent crime of any sort. So uh, what kind of person just immediately concludes that, well, yeah, sure, they did it. You know? It just seemed very, very bizarre to me.
0: Yeah, because you had the parents who, who were interviewed, and they weren't even in the country. They weren't in America. I think they were, were they back in Chechnya, or were they in were. They were in
1: Dagestan.
0: Dagestan, okay. Yeah. And they, of course, didn't believe it. They said, you know, um, especially the younger one, Jokar, no, he, he wouldn't hurt anybody. And yeah, he's, he has no record or anything like that. Um, I, I was also reading too that Uncle Ruslan back in the 90s worked for uh, USA Aid, which uh, is, you know, long rumored to be at least a front or, or part of a uh, cutout well, for American yeah, intelligence. I, I...
1: I mean, to be fair, USAID does a lot of good work. I mean, it is a it's a it's a government uh, uh, development and relief organization. Uh, but there's no question that historically there have been allegations that the organization provided cover for some intelligence activities. I think probably the vast majority of people there are uh, are, are serious uh, uh development people, uh, but uh, yeah, but it is an organization that does have a reputation, certainly in that regard. And it's very interesting that he worked there.
0: Yeah, and, and have you done any, did, did you dig it all into um, that? I think it was a a billionaire, an oligarch from Kazakhstan that he was a lawyer for, or or I might have that, that wrong, but I, apparently he was doing some kind of work for an oligarch. And there was an investigation into some fraud with some money and, and uh, some kind of you know money laundering operation that was going on. Does any of that sound familiar? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, it does uh, sound familiar. And I'd have to go back and refresh my memory. I apologize that in the in the ten years I cannot remember that. But yes, that that does sound right.
0: Yeah. So I, and I, I haven't uh, I haven't dug too deep into that aspect of it, but that's certainly something I want to follow up on as well. Um, you know, another big thing with with this, uh, it was was the former Boston Police Commissioner there, Ed Davis, who appears in this documentary. And you kind of see in the narrative that he's he seems to be at odds with the FBI on, um, you know, do they release the tapes and, um, you know, the, the images to the public to try and get these guys. And the big thing, the takeaway I had, you know, towards the end was, you know, him saying that he, he thought there were other people involved making the bombs because it was very sophisticated and I think, was, I don't know if the documentary mentioned this, but like black powder and some of the elements that they would have needed, they didn't find any of that in their cars or their or their apartment. So it kind of points to their, you know, the authorities pro- very well believe that there may have been someone else assisting them to make the bombs.
1: Yeah. And, you know, of course, uh, anyone listening immediately started thinking, well, what are you talking about? Where are you going with this? What's your, what's your angle? I get asked all the time, what's your slant? What's your angle? And I, right. I try to say, look, you know, I mean, that's, to do good journalism, you really shouldn't have a slant or an angle. It's just that we're talking about anomalies. We're talking about things that are curious. And obviously I'm not the, pol- the former police commissioner of Boston, but if he says he thinks there's more to the story, I can say, I think there's more to the story and we can all talk about it. We could all look into what what might this be. I mean, I'm happy to, uh, uh, to talk about the various possibilities, but uh, certainly, uh, yeah, I mean, Neither of these kids seemed to have uh, they had no history of making bombs. So uh, as as Ed Davis says, they did an awfully good job because not only the bombs, but the detonators and and those bombs went off like clockwork and they both went off perfectly Uh, is unusual. And, and by his estimation, and the FBI originally themselves said that these guys couldn't have made these bombs. Uh, they stopped saying that, of course, as they moved toward trial. Uh, and that was just dropped by the media. But if the FBI and the police commissioner don't think that these two could have made these bombs, then the question is, well, who did? And then you get into the question is, are we looking at, are they terrorists? I mean, obviously, uh, if they uh, set off these bombs, they're uh, uh, terrorists of some kind uh although the question would be terrorists for whom and for what and why did they do that and of course if more people were involved it gets more complicated and you have to think that there's some sort of an agenda here now my uh, to me the single most interesting thing and I was in Boston for the trial was that this uh, you know the older brother Tamerlan was deceased the younger brother was on trial he didn't say a word um I mean I think they asked him do you how do you plead or something but see Even that was complicated because they were trying to cut a deal. Uh, His entire defense was around trying to cut him a deal so that he would not get the death penalty. They were not interested in trying to uh, prove what had happened or anything else, um, which is another interesting issue because uh, at one point the, uh, uh, the defense went over to the former Soviet Union to do some investigating and they were harassed very aggressively uh, by the FBI, very aggressively, and I think that's a story somebody ought to do. Uh, is that even proper? Uh, harassing and threatening these guys. Um, so uh, uh, they, at some point, if they ever really investigated what happened, if they, if they themselves, if the defense ever really understood what happened, they, they ended up deciding to keep the the whole thing to uh, mitigation. And so they uh, tried to convince the jury that uh, the younger brother was impressionable and had been heavily influenced by the older brother and that they wanted to therefore uh, reduce his sentence. I mean, the fact of the matter was, I think if you're a defense lawyer, you know that there's no way that this guy's going to get off. I mean, zero. I mean, uh, there was too much at stake. People wanted closure. Uh, It's a very uncomfortable subject huge amounts of pressure and this is another interesting thing of course if you're FBI or you're a U.S. attorney or something the pressure on you uh to to have success to solve a crime and to get closure and to uh, uh to make sure that the guilty are punished this is this is demanded otherwise we basically got a lynch mob and so frankly I mean in 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 I'm sure over 90% of the cases, they're all quote-unquote solved, and, and somebody uh, uh, is punished. And uh, of course, uh, we we see uh, uh, historically that there are an awful lot of wrongful convictions, um, primarily uh, people of color, but not only people of color. You could say that the Sarnaevs as uh, Muslims, as minorities, are effectively a kind of people of color. Uh, and And so, yeah, I mean, you know, it seems...
0: oh uh did you freeze but that they
1: did he, how they oh. weren't i mean if you look at their behavior the 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 weirdness uh around um you know they in the documentary they reenact this thing with uh, the younger brother going to buy milk you know and he takes the milk and he like looks at it like he's uh, that was strange too i mean like yeah. i don't know if he was trying to look for you know low cholesterol uh, you know what low fat or what he was doing but he like stared at it you know like like you wouldn't normally do in a store stare at a milk to that extent uh, it's all very very strange and and just again as a as a reporter and as a human being I, I just have a lot of questions i want to know more you know why were they you know if they blew up this thing why did they go la-di-da and go shopping for milk I mean, it's all it's yeah, all weird
0: why did they try to take off or if they knew they needed another gun you know go go get another gun because they hadn't been named yet because that's officially what they say about why they were at mit with um going after officer collier
1: well, this is another thing. I mean, uh, at the time, I mean, nobody knew who they were supposedly, and nobody knew where they lived, right? And so uh, uh, why were they um, uh, on the campus uh, of, of MIT? It was at night, There was almost, very few people were around. And um, this police officer had his car, and I went down there and I studied this until the uh, MIT vice president asked me to leave. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't making a a, a lot of noise. I was being pretty discreet. I talked to a few people who were in a place where you could have a view of that and so on. And I asked them, I asked them like, how often do you see MIT police cars parked on the plaza? And people said, you know, I'm there every day. I've never seen that before. So, I mean, just again, try to be play detective here. The question was, well, why was officer Collier, this MIT police officer parked on a basically empty campus uh, on the plaza, Uh, you know off of the street I mean what was he waiting for and I suppose you could say that MIT was on alert because there had been a Boston bombing and maybe they wanted to have people observing in case anything happened that's certainly possible Uh, but if you watch the video um, you know closed circuit video I mean he's sitting there and then somebody comes up to him and you know and 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 shoots him Uh, and and they say that they tried to get his gun, but they couldn't get it out of the holster. I don't know. It sounds strange to me. It doesn't, I mean, guns are everywhere. You know, if you're going to be doing something like this and you're planning it and you already have one gun and you think that you might need extra guns, I mean, how many people in Boston already have <laughs> loads of guns? You could probably just go on the street or, you know, Craigslist or whatever. And you, you get a gun awfully quick. So it, it, again, that seems strange to me. And, um, uh, as, you, as you know, this article that I did in my, in my sub stack, and by the way, my, I repeat the name of it just for people who want to look at it, It's called Going Deep with Russ Baker. You could also read it. We published it on the nonprofit news site that I run, which is called who what why.org who what Why? And you can find the article on there. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned um, is that week, as all of these things started happening, I got this queasy feeling. And Mike, I don't know what order you want to go in here, but uh, I would love to tell about the similarities between this and the shooting of John F. Kennedy.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading your article. You really pointed out some pretty, pretty interesting ones. But yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, so first of all, folks, you got to know that, uh, When these bombs went off, two bombs went off at the Boston Marathon, and almost simultaneously down the road at the JFK Library, uh, uh, there was a a fire, a big fire uh, of, of, of suspicious origin, at least originally they said it was suspicious. They later said, some said it was a mechanical fire, others said it was a carelessly tossed cigarette. Uh, keep in mind this in a period when frankly very few people smoke anymore but okay and um and I did talk to people uh, uh in the building who were uh, seemed to be scared to talk to me and they said they you know talked in hushed voices they said I can't I'm not allowed to say anything and I thought well what the heck you know and I believe that it damaged some of the JFK records in the archives there uh but in any case. Uh, Let's keep in mind that 2013 was not only the Boston Marathon bombing, it was the 50th anniversary of the death of John F. Kennedy. And so uh, similarities, um, you have a ton of them, and there's so many. uh, And we also published, by the way, on Who, What, Why? a a reprise of all of our old reporting where you can go and click and read a lot of our old articles where we go into these things in much more detail than we're going to have time here. But in any case, um, you know, the John F. Kennedy shooting, uh he was killed and nobody knew who had shot him and then suddenly a police officer is killed and um then um uh this man is found hiding in a theater <laughs> okay uh, now uh, they weren't able to to connect him to the shots at the motorcade uh, and um, of course it could have been anybody who would fire those shots. But in any case, uh, there was a shooting of a police officer. Well, as soon as a police officer is shot, uh, law enforcement goes on to a new level of, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a motivation. I'm going to say because look I understand it if you're a law enforcement officer and one of your people uh, is killed you 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 react that way this is normal human behavior uh, and so with the sh- shooting of officer Tippett in in Dallas in 1963 uh, they really went on alert and you know I mean I think obviously people were concerned that the president had been shot but you know to be frank about it and, I, and as you know I've done a lot of research on the Kennedy assassination I've got a new book coming out in a, a couple of years, I hope, that's uh, 10 years of work on the Kennedy assassination. I can tell you that a lot of the Dallas police officers were very hostile to him, uh, largely over his views on segregation, uh, but also about other things. And most of the police officers were very, very politically conservative. I'm just being frank here. Weren't
0: they John Um, Birchers, some of them?
1: Yeah, a lot of them were John Birchers, right. They were Minutemen, they were, you know, whatever. Uh, They did not like this man. And so whatever they did, to react when he was shot which certainly some of them you know went and tried to apprehend somebody or do whatever they did uh but it was not the finest moment of the dallas police department overall but in any case the minute officer tippett was shot they went bananas uh it was you know just red alert um and so then they find this guy oswald in a movie theater which is strange too by the way we could talk about that but then you go over to literally 50 years uh, to the year from that and you have the Boston Marathon bombing and again they don't know who did it there's a scramble and then a police officer is shot again uh, and by the way both of these shootings the of police officers don't make a lot of sense and there's no explanation of why officer collier was where he was there's no explanation of why these two brothers would have gone on the campus knowing that it was at night and it was basically dark why would you even go on the campus assuming you're going to find someone with a gun there or you're going to find a police officer i mean it's it, 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 it is not rational uh behavior to get a gun um and again by the way this has not been as far as i know mentioned by any news organization ever ever, nobody has ever brought this up, has ever wanted to talk about it. There were rallies, they filled the stadium in honor of Officer Collier. I mean, if you want to honor the life of this man, you ought to find out really why he was killed. In any case, um, so that didn't make any sense. And then the shooting of Officer Tippett didn't make any sense because, well, first of all, he wasn't even supposed to be where uh, he was shot. He wasn't, you know, that wasn't his job. He wasn't sent by dispatch over there or anything. So why was he even there? And and then, of course, you have these various eyewitness accounts, uh, which don't describe Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, so there's a lot of problems with that. There's a problem with the, uh, with the ammunition that was found there. There's a lot of strange things. Oh, and then the best thing of all is uh, how easy they made it to pin it on Oswald despite the, uh, anomalies and the eyewitness stuff despite the distance from that to where Oswald was 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 arrested the timing doesn't work uh the ammunition doesn't work but uh, you can see this video and we I think we did a piece on who what why about this you see these guys uh, the cops in a in a and a FBI agent and they're looking at uh uh this wallet Mm. Uh, and supposedly, Lee Harvey Oswald not only shoots Officer Tippett, but he drops and leaves his wallet on the scene uh, just to be helpful in case they'd like to identify him. <laughs> so, you know, that's very strange to me. And again, that's an anomaly that I would say statistically is incredibly rare. I'm not saying that perps don't ever drop a wallet with their ID. But I mean, you know, when you're shooting somebody, why are you taking your wallet out?
0: You know, Was how that does the drop? was that the A.J. Hydell um, identification? Yeah. Because yeah. When they yeah. got him at the theater, he also had ID on him, different ID, right?
1: Yes, that's right. So,
0: that's right. So, it, so they, they sh- messed up. They messed up, man. Whoever planted that messed up.
1: Well, you said whoever planted it, I mean, I'm not going to say somebody planted, but it certainly makes you wonder if somebody planted it. Now you flash forward to officer Collier and this thing doesn't make any sense at all. And then, uh, you know, officer down, you know, and then everything kind of goes crazy from there. Um, and there's all these other things that are very, very weird. There's the, the, the whole Oswald Kennedy thing has hundreds, thousands of things that don't add up. And then the, uh, uh, the Boston bombing thing is just a small version of it, but there's a ton of stuff that doesn't, doesn't add up. And uh, uh, you know this carjacking, by the way, is a weird thing. Uh, uh, they've got this uh, Chinese national who came to, uh, to go to school at MIT uh and uh, had some startup business and the guy drives a brand new uh, BMW okay brand new now I don't know I went to grad school I mean I didn't have a BMW how many I don't know did he come I tried to find out if he came from a wealthy family in China so that he would have a BMW but uh I could tell you I mean those are very expensive Beamers you know and uh, <laughs> he had a, a new one and uh The way he tells it in this film, to me, doesn't make any sense. He says, I was at home and, you know, we knew about the bombing and there were all these sirens going by where I was. And then I decided to go take a drive. You know, again, folks, I mean, you know that there are bombers, mad bombers on the loose uh, and there's sirens going by your place. Is the first thing you do? He didn't say I I'm a I'm a cop. Uh, a chaser. Right? He didn't say I'm like a, a, what do you call them? Storm chasers? You know, that he's going to deliberately get in the w- way of harm. He said, no, you uh-huh. know, I, that's how I blow off steam. I like to take a drive. I'm proud of my car. I got in my car. I went driving. I got a text message. I stopped. A car pulls up behind me these guys get out. I roll down my window. I mean, honestly, again, uh, you know, how many people with bombers on the loose or even without bombers on the loose are going to roll down their window to two young guys who are rapping on your window? I mean, I, I wouldn't do it. So he rolls down his window. They, he says, they said, roll your window down more. He complies. He rolls down his window more. They reach in, they grab the thing and they get in the car. And at this point, it's supposedly the Tsarnaevs. And then they're driving along and get this. The, uh, the older brother says, do you know who I am? And he says, no. And he says, I'm the guy who did the Boston Marathon bombing. Now, again, folks, I mean, statistically, I don't know how often somebody gratuitously uh, announces it because you, if you want to announce it, you want to announce it, A, because you're proud of it. Right. B, because uh, you want notoriety. And I guess C, maybe you want to intimidate this person, but you're sitting in his car with a gun. I don't know that you need to intimidate him further by saying, and also, if you're not scared of me yet, let me add some of my additional exploits. So that seems very weird to me. And it was the fact that he told this guy, Mike, that he was the Boston bomber. And then uh, a little bit later, a little bit later, when uh, when the, uh, uh, the 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 guys driving the car is able, he escapes from the car. And by the way, he's with these guys, these murderers who blew up this thing, and they let him escape from the car. I mean, he says they sort of reached for him, yeah. but he ran. You know, are they masterminds I mean,
0: or are they bumbling incompetence? We, we, well, like, what are they? Are, what they, are, are they, they somewhere yeah. in the middle?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. He, he he escapes from the car. Uh, they don't manage to stop him. They don't manage to get him when he runs into the gas station. I don't know what that whole story is about, but anyway, um, uh, he then he then says that um, he uh, the 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 uh, gas station attendant called police and said I have a man here and he's you know being chased and uh, he says and then he says I'm with the Boston Marathon Bobber. So it gets into the police who are shall we say mildly interested, um, and then when the police. Talk to him, he says, oh, by the way, I have a, uh, uh, a tracking device in my car. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in the, in the documentary, they point out how unusual it was that he actually knew the exact number. Uh, and I don't have a tracking device. I never had one. I don't know how that works. But he knew the whole long uh, numeric sequence that identified the tracking device, and because of this, because of this, they the law enforcement were able to track his car through that. Remember that magnificent chase that we all watched, that riveting chase. They we yeah. were able to watch the whole thing because they had, you know, <laughs> you know, they, did, they were able to
0: track it. Did you get the impression, Russ, that a lot of that footage was recreation? Because I hadn't seen a lot of that, or or did people have cameras on their houses, or do they use, you know, like you know, uh, security cameras, obviously in businesses? Um, but I'm talking about like the, um, uh, the shootout, the f- throwing the, the pipe bombs right. at the authorities and, right. and just, just the whole route. Like you were, you were talking a moment ago about, uh, the fellow who was carjacked. They have footage, they have pretty good, like clear footage of that happening. And they have him turning around a corner and then they, they basically yeah. have the, the whole thing. You can pretty much see everything, which I, I had never seen a lot of this footage, even, right. the, even the piece of footage outside of the business of, uh, uh, Jocard, you know, dropping the second bomb and walking away pretty quickly I didn't realize he was so hubris enough to drop it and then then let it go off seconds later, I didn't even realize that Well
1: I, I, I think this, it's a bit sketchy both the filmmakers and Netflix I think uh, uh, did violate some of the canons of documentary and filmmaking, they do say that some things were recreated, there's a little tiny notice which I guess you Is didn't there? even see,
0: I didn't they even really, see that Russ I wouldn't they, be surprised though
1: they made it as invisible as possible which means of course when you're talking about propaganda here you're talking about something that's affecting everybody's understanding of what just ha- what they just saw what happened and yeah. they're believing and by the way if you read my stuff about the attacks on me on wikipedia which is another thing everybody just believes whatever they read on wikipedia whatever they see on netflix they believe so they think they now have all the facts so of course right. if i talk about this they just say oh a conspiracy nut you know or something but the fact is as you say they did recreate a lot of it and i don't know how much of that they recreated i know they mix it so for mm-hmm. example uh, there's cctv in the store when he's getting the milk but the one where he looks at the milk that's an actor
0: yeah and his face is all blurry that was really bizarre how, how they did that maybe, maybe well, they, they were they, trying to make an artistic statement we don't want to glorify their you know what i mean even though we all know what their faces look like i don't well, know what they uh, were going for with well that. they're
1: also blurring it because it's an actor yeah So it's not the right face. And then you you got the wrong face. People say, well, that's not him, you see. So this is part of what I think is a little bit deceptive, if I may, uh, 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 about this film. And you raise a great point, Mike. It really is a a problem. And somebody should really go through the film. Maybe we could try to talk to filmmakers and ask them to please lay out in great detail what actually is real footage.
0: Yeah, that would would be great to do that. And then I think another similarity I just thought of, I don't even know if you included this in your, I don't think you did, but... Um, the older brother, Tamerlan, uh, just like Lee Harvey Oswald was known to the American government before the event happened. Uh, the CIA knew about Oswald as far back as 1959 and, uh, the FBI knew about Tamerlan. He was on a watch list by 2011 or 2012.
1: That's right. Um, you know, they, they knew a lot about both of these men and, um, uh, you know, that's a sensitive spot, uh, for the FBI, uh, the New York Times once did an article. It was on the front page, and then it just vanished and never heard mention of it again. It it said that they looked at 20 cases. I believe it was involving uh, 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 terrorism, domestic terrorism, and 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 19 of them, the FBI had had prior contact yeah. uh, with the perpetrator. I mean, that's right. a high ratio. You know, that's very yeah. high.
0: And they both got back in the country, uh, coming back from Russia. Uh, Tamerlin didn't have a passport, I don't think. But um, he was desperate to become a U.S. citizen, um, from what I've read. And what they did touch on that in this documentary. Um, he was even included in some campaign uh, promotional when he was at school or wrestling, like, you know, we'll wrestle for visa or something like that. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, but there's a theory. It's not my theory. I just read this from a another journalist who's dug into this. Um, and I think she was being interviewed with a former FBI agent uh, that it's possible that the FBI was actually trying to recruit Tamerlan to spy on mosques and to spy on, um, you know, extremism. You yeah, because well, he, he had a foot in that world. But he had a foot in the drug world. And he was, you know, kind of could blend into different uh, areas. So he may have been a uh, attractive recruit for them.
1: Right. Well, we, we, we've certainly gone down that road uh, at Who, What, Why. We've written a lot about that. And I do think that, uh, you know, uh, by the way, uh, once we started reporting on that, I heard from uh, ex-FBI people uh, and from ex-FBI informants who really liked our work. And they said, this is important what you're doing. And I mean, it is a fact that the FBI is constantly being uh, uh, recruiting informants, uh, as they should, because they're trying to stop plots. The problem is that there's a very, very fine line between stopping a plot and starting a plot. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you know, they th- for them to flesh out, uh, uh, flesh out people who uh, uh, who, who who are uh, uh, the kind of people that the FBI wants to know about. They have to say things and do things themselves. Uh, classic case was the. Uh, the first World Trade Center bombing in 1993, the man who uh, was the FBI informant, um, an Egyptian. Uh, was it Re-
0: um, Rames Yusuf or Yusuf? Uh,
1: uh, um, no, no. Uh, it was, um, so, I sorry, I'm see. blanking out on his name. Ali no. Souf- no, 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 no. This man was a um, uh, was an uh, Egyptian military officer who ended up uh, uh, immigrating to the United States. And um, uh I believe I can't remember if he I think he volunteered to help uh, uh, investigate radicalism but anyway they put him into these mosques and so forth um, and you know they had him wired uh, and he told them he said you know uh look at this point I'm getting worried because you've got me trying to get people to uh Emad Salem there we go thank yeah, you very Emma. much thank you
0: Baron <laughs> thank you. yeah <laughs> thank
1: you Baron uh Emad Salem and and by the way Emad Salem contacted me after he read our Boston Marathon stuff, and really? he was or is in the witness protection program, but nevertheless, he came into New York and I met him in the in the back of a restaurant and we had a nice chat. And, and he said, you know, this is, I mean, this thing gives me the creeps, this Boston bombing thing, because he said, you know, I told them I told the FBI that I was afraid that the people I was working with actually were going to go ahead and bomb it and they said well you let us worry about that well guess what they went ahead and they bombed it (laughs) the bomb went off in the you know in the garage of the World Trade Center and it and you know did some damage I mean it could have done a lot more damage but uh uh yeah so I mean if we know that could happen of course there's always a possibility that Tamerlan was uh, work at the FBI. Now, then you say, well, you don't think the FBI wants a bomb to go off. I certainly do not. But, you know, no. things can go wrong. I mean, who knows what? Who knows what could have happened there? He could have he could have gotten uh, uh, angry at them. Uh, I mean, anything could have happened well,
0: there. Well, yeah, Just because he might be doing some work for the FBI doesn't mean he's given up on his extremist views. On the other hand,
1: well, you see, that's another problem, Mike, is that I'm not sure how extremist he was. I mean, basically, uh, the the film is very uh, confusing about a lot of these things. So they'll they, take... The they make issue. so many assumptions
0: about these guys in the film.
1: Yes, and they take the thing about his... Uh, 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 about him wanting U.S. citizenship, to say that he was bitter because he didn't get it, but you could also argue, no, actually he wasn't bitter. He was just trying to get it, and this is the, this was the the situation at the time. Uh, but the, you know, the other thing is just that um, uh, you know he he, he was not a uh, very devout, and we actually see that in the footage of him. He goes to uh, to Chechnya, uh, and and he's with these friends. And they're goofing around at the beach. You know, these, these are not, um, these are young guys going to the beach, you know, and, and, and interviewed. A lot of them were like, no, we're not really religious. He's not really religious. So how did he become suddenly so angry and so ultra uh, religious like that? Um, and I have to tell you another thing is I interviewed a woman who uh, met him. Uh, and this was not that long before the bombing. And she was walking down the street, and she said that he started talking to her on the street and trying to provoke her. And he started uh, uh, saying things uh, uh, and insulting her and telling her he was a radical Muslim. You know, I mean, m- devout Muslims don't really do that. You know, no, I they mean, don't
0: behave like that. Like, that's, but, that reminds honestly, you of in Florida.
1: Honestly, you know what? Devout people from most religions, do not just go on the street and randomly harass a bystander who had nothing to do with anything and start putting their views on them. And so she thought it was strange. And um, I can't remember why, but I I can't remember. He may have even given her his name, but he was very insistent that she know who he is and that she know that he was a radical Muslim. And she told me that she thought that um, he was looking for her to go into the police and report him. Mm. As a, as a radical Muslim.
0: He was, you know, so this maybe, you know, he was playing a part if, you know, this, of course, this is speculating. He was, uh, if he was recruited and he was, you know, um, doing some work with them, you know, he would have wanted to draw attention uh, to that legend, to that, to that narrative for whatever reason. And that reminds me of some of the hijacker pilots behavior in Florida, like Muhammad Atta, throwing around wads of cash, uh, drinking alcohol, bragging about being a, an airlines pilot and saying, I've got all this money and hanging out with strippers. And it's not, that's not very, uh, uh, becoming of a developed uh, Muslim, that type of behavior. So that's, that's very odd too.
1: It's all, it's all very odd. And, you know, as far as the nine 11 hijackers, I mean, I spent some time down there and interviewed a bunch of people and I've also spoken to people who interviewed a lot more people than I did. Um, and, uh, you know, they said none of the stuff added up. Um, their behavior, uh the idea that these guys themselves were even religious at all. They didn't seem to be religious at all. So uh very, very strange. I mean, I think the problem here is is how do you do serious investigation of things where there are problems with the facts when you have a very powerful um uh uh, uh you know propaganda apparatus that uh, tells the public, do not listen to those kinds of questions. Do not listen to those kind of people. Uh, they're bad people, they're nuts. Uh, you know, forget it. This is the story. Everybody sing the same tune. It's very, very unhealthy. And I, by the way, I speak as a person who is opposed to a lot of these wacky things like QAnon and you know the uh, the stolen election thing. I, I I I abhor. I abhor the idea that everything is a conspiracy. I abhor the idea that uh, that that people believe that government is fundamentally uh, evil and always doing terrible things. I think government is is us you know, any of us, our relatives may work for the government. And I think most people are honest and uh, upstanding and trying to do their jobs. And I just think that there are sometimes situations that are more complicated and some of them are real and some of them are not real. And this is why we need good journalism. We need people who will go in with an open mind, totally agnostic and look at things. And I can tell you, I've looked at many things and I concluded in in the vast majority of them that there was nothing more there that the official and a lot of secrecy, I think there's a, um, uh, there's a tendency uh, to not tell the whole story, if you will, uh, for yeah. a lot of different bureaucratic reasons and, and non-bureaucratic reasons.
0: Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I pretty I pretty much agree and think, you know, it went down the way that the even the documentary said it went down in terms of the actual bombing and these guys walking around with the backpacks and dropping it off. I mean, you know, that happened. But it's like rewinding and going back from that to see what led to that and, and who else may have been involved. And um, yeah, I agree, man. The QAnon stuff really poisoned the well on real researchers and real um, independent journalists who are really trying to get down to the truth. And it's more a lot of it's more gray area and nuanced. And I think a lot of, a lot of people want a clear answer. They want a, a villain. They want someone to blame um, for all this stuff. But I think it's really a, mix, it's a mixture of things. And like you said, man, we are, we're the government. People are in, It's humans, human beings, man. There's human error. People can be corrupted. People can be blackmailed. People can be threatened. So I think there's, most of the time, there's people in government who are trying to do the right thing and do their jobs and they get pressure from higher up. Or they get threatened or you know, who knows xyz and that's what leads to people thinking everything is a conspiracy or the whole thing's nefarious
1: yeah and and another way to look at it is that when you work for an intelligence agency that has major components uh, involving uh information warfare propaganda disinformation and you know that you need to protect your operations and that if people like you and me and uh, others Dig into these things. That we—it's important that we be discredited. You could understand why intelligence agencies themselves would want to see things like QAnon promoted because oh, yeah. they discredit the entire field yeah. of inquiry. Is exactly is very very effective. I'm sure whether it's Americans or it's Putin's people. I'm sure they all do that. They all put out or encourage and foster these uh, phony uh, conspiracies in order to uh, poison the well, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and the thing that gets me, though, Russ, is there's already so many out there that, are, that have been proven. I mean, that we, the things that the government has lied about and done that are, like, way worse than some of these so-called conspiracy theories, like the Iraq War, for example, or uh, the release of the, you know, Afghan, uh, Afghanistan war tapes or cables um, when they knew that the war was going nowhere and they had no strategy and they continued to stay over there for another, you know, 10, 15 years. To me, that that's that's way worse because you're talking about all these people being killed needlessly, um, but that just gets kind of glossed over and people go on to the next outrage cycle for 24 hours. And I think they're doing that in a lot of ways with the culture war. They got people so amped up on the culture war that yeah. no one's asking these big questions about our foreign policy or about you know how we're really pushing towards World War III with uh, with Russia and the Ukraine situation. So people tend to get distracted. People are working, living paycheck to paycheck. You know, six o'clock. Friday night, the end of the week, people don't want to look at this shit. They want to put on Netflix or they want to put the ball game on. And I totally get that, but that's, you know, that goes back to your point, man, about propaganda and how effective, you know, an outfit like Netflix is or, you know, take your pick, CBS, you know, Fox, MSNBC, whatever it is, and it plays into people's preconceived notions or, or their their echo chamber. So, to really try to get down to the bottom of the stuff, you have to actually end up cutting through people's uh, closely held beliefs in the first place to even get them to question something. So it's like you're, you're doing double work. <laughs> you know, well, trying... unfor- uh, un-
1: unfortunately, there's very little actual interest or commitment to the truth. Everybody uses the word truth. And even the way they use the word truth is dishonest. You know, they use it as a brand. There's a lot of these words mm-hmm. they adopt. But I mean, whether it's uh, this Netflix thing, which is provides some contribution, but is is largely misleading, uh, um, or it's, um, uh, 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 people who, uh, put out crazy theories on their own, just because they're, they're imbalanced or irrational or foolish or malicious, uh, or whether it's, uh, agencies, uh, encouraging false stories in order yeah. to poison the well, all of these things are bad. And I think, I think the media itself is quite bad in terms of total failure to investigate this Boston Marathon bombing thing, total failure to investigate uh, uh, the uh, uh, JFK thing, total failure to investigate Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, for all the stories they did, how often did they actually get anything? You know, I mean, this is honestly why I started Who, What, Why as a nonprofit, noncommercial non-commercial news organization, because I said, my God, uh, uh, you know, somebody's got to do the real work. Now the problem, of course, is we're you know poor as paupers, uh, and we're always trying to raise some money here so we can hire more reporters. But I mean, um, this work has to be done. I mean, this is we're talking about the fate of the fate of this country, the fate of the world. Here is all bound up in uh, uh, finding the truth and sharing it with people. It's the still alternative very, is very yeah, dangerous.
0: It. Yeah, and it leads to more. Yeah, it's disinformation, misinformation, and ultimately people uh, agreeing to, you know, uh, destruction and more war and, and, uh, othering and, and, um, ha- you know, always having an enemy, you know, when you know, I don't, I don't hate the people of Russia. I don't, I don't hate Chinese people. I don't hate Russia. Um, but my media, my government tells me, you know, we have to hate them and we have to be scared of them. I want to see something like what RFK did um, when he was, you know, working for his brother's administration. He met with a Russian ambassador, you know, they met, the, I think it was at an embassy quietly and privately. And, uh, they hashed it out. You know, I want to see more of that. I don't care if it's Biden or Trump or whoever's in there. If they're going to actually go and do that, I, I encourage that. I thought yeah. it was great when Trump met with uh, uh, little rocket man, Kim Jong-un. I thought that was great. Um, ultimately, nothing, pro- nothing solid came of it, but there was no war. I mean, 20 million people in North Korea were probably happy that that meeting happened. And, of course, it appealed to Trump's vanity. But I'd rather see our leaders go and talk, man you know we have to deal with leaders of other countries and and most of them are probably psychopaths but that's, that's I, I agree the, with
1: you, and I, I also think it's a very important to separate these, these, these dictators from the from the population. That's the most important thing because these dictators yeah. are not are making uh, other people like Ukraine suffer and they're making their own people suffer. They're not in it for anybody else. And I think that no. make but that, that, that puts the US government in quite a difficult position. I, I wouldn't want to be them. I mean it's very, very hard to solve these things.
0: Yeah, but I think, I think we've all learned, at least, you know, since the Iraq war, that more of these wars is not the answer. And, and I would hope that more of the American people would, would open up to that and, and to you know, wake up to that. But unfortunately, with the continuing propaganda and the memory holding of so many things, you just you have people who are like, man, you know, we could we could we could win a nuclear war. A couple of nukes could go off and they, you know, maybe that wouldn't be so bad. You know, we could take care of Putin and not even really thinking about the chain reaction or what they're actually saying. Um, I think that's the end of, of, of mankind. I think one nuke going off sets off a chain reaction that you can't put that genie back in the bottle, you know, and I think that's, that's another
1: most, conversation for another day.
0: That, that's true. But trying to stick uh, with the marathon stuff. Um, and you mentioned this, uh, I think, in your piece. Um, no one has talked to uh, Jokar, who is back on death row, I believe, in federal custody. And you maybe tried to get an interview with him, but, you um, do you think we'll ever ever hear from him, like, why, other than what was written on the boat? And there, there's never been a motive that's actually been proven or, or, or borne out.
1: Well, why why not interview the guy and ask him, did you do it and why did you do it? I mean, What does he have to lose to say? But the U.S. government has refused to let us talk to him. They didn't actually say we refused to let you talk to him. What they did was they presented a classic uh, shell game shall we say uh where where uh, uh if we tried this then oh then it was that and they tried that and then so forth there was nothing there in each of these different agencies and then and they referred us to the other one and well no but then you have to do this first well how do we do that first well you can't do that first you know so uh, we'd like to uh, go forward on this i'm i'm hoping we can um uh, Uh, the the usual struggle to find funding, but I'm hoping we get some funding together and put a team together. I would like to deploy a team to investigate the story further. I don't think anybody else is going to do it except us. And I think we probably could do a pretty good job on it. Uh, I'm excited to be involved with it. And I think it's very much in the public interest to get to the bottom of this thing. Um, uh, You know, as they say, uh, 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 truth is uh, is a disinfectant, you know. And I think if we can, one by one, whether it's this or my book on the Kennedy assassination or, or, or whatever, start understanding what actually happened and start cleaning up our ratio of untruths to truths. Um, anything's possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's still a couple of things, well, a bunch of things open about this case in particular. There's the uh, the friend who was killed after being interrogated by the FBI, and then there's the house in Waltham Um this is crazy i actually know a guy who was friends with uh one of the victims of the, the had his throat slit uh in waltham and that, as far as i know that case is actually still open it's and- yes
1: it's it's a very strange case they they used that by the way they used that to say this proves that these that the older brother was a vicious murderer because he also murdered these guys in this home. And it was a, such a strange crime and so brutal. And by the way, uh, with Lee Oswald, they did the same thing. I should have put that into comparison. Uh, they made all these claims that he was a wife beater and he was a this and he was a that, and he behaved very, very badly. But I've interviewed huge numbers of people who, uh, you know, were around, or whoever is still alive or was alive over the last 10 years uh, who had any kind of interactions with him. And they tell me completely opposite stories about what he was like. And, uh, you know, his best friend, when he lived in, uh, in Minsk, uh, this man, and we're going to be running an interview with him, this man says, said he was a, a, a gentle, soft-spoken, uh, thoughtful person uh, who would never harm a flea. Um, so, you know, same thing, I mean, you know, Tamerlan, you um, you know it, was he capable of that and why such a savage? It, it seemed to be a, a weird statement thing. Remember, not only were they all all the roommates killed, uh, but they were killed in such a way and then uh, money was poured on top of their their corpses. And to me, to me, you know, that's a very sophisticated crime scene. That is crime scene. And by the way, these guys were mixed martial arts people. So how is it that somebody could subdue all three of them? Mm. Uh, and kill them like that and get away with it. I mean, you you have to be almost superhuman to do that. And um, I, I'm not saying Tamerlan didn't do it, but I think you you you, you need people with very advanced uh, skills and timing. And maybe they were able to somehow immobilize the people in there in some way that has not been reported through any sort of uh, forensics. But it, it, that story doesn't add up to me either.
0: Yeah, he he got the drop on these three dudes who were all. One of them was supposedly his best friend, and and uh, they, so they had yeah that you mentioned the uh, um they were you know had cash thrown on them, and then there was a lot of weed there. I guess they found like six grand in total between the weed, the worth of the weed, and the and the cash that was left and not stolen. And so that I think that what they're trying to do there with that, and they did this in the documentary, is to say, oh well, you know um Tamerlan's response to that was oh this is what happens when you get involved with drugs to the coach the next day or something like that that was like one of those things they added in there
1: doesn't make any sense not
0: really you know? yeah that was bizarre and um yeah the friend there uh, uh ibrahim or i might be pronouncing mispronouncing his name who was killed while in fbi not custody but they were questioning him at his apartment down in florida i think right Tereshev
1: yeah yeah um, that was a very weird one they they uh, there was an FBI agent and there was a um, what was he a local police a state trooper or something state some florida law enforcement and the FBI guy and the 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 state guy left the room and then the FBI guy claimed that while the other one was out of the room, that, that, that uh, Todashev charged him with a, I think it was some sort of like a, I can't remember, like a samurai sword or something and he shot him. Um, and then and the people who knew Todashev said, that's ridiculous. He, he, he would never do something like that. Plus why would anybody do that when you're in a room with, a, with an FBI agent interrogating you? Why, I mean, why would you charge him? And especially when you know there are other law enforcement people outside. I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, that changed a couple of times. I think first they said it was a samurai sword he was trying to grab off the wall and then it's a a broom, then it's a a metal broom handle. They said many
1: different things. That's right. (laughs) And by by the way, that that FBI agent, uh, before he was in the FBI, he was in trouble for wrongdoing uh, somewhere in Oakland or somewhere. He was like maybe like a bad cop or something. So, I mean, what the heck?
0: Yeah, that's weird because they were like, well, you know, one agent noticed he was, he was getting uh, uh, very irritated and we, we texted, you know, we were in the same room, but we texted each other. Hey, watch out for this guy. He's getting irritated. And while we're looking down at my phone, he lunged at us and jumped through the table. And it just sounds like they kind of the story kind of changed a few times. on well, what also,
1: also, you have to know they were really harassing him a lot. And he was not charged with any crime and they were really harassing him and i think he said some things and he was a bit fed up he was like you know i know my rights you know why are you know stop bugging me or something and i mean i if they want to characterize that as as leading up to him charging them with a with a weapon um but i have my doubts about that
0: and i think they shot him a total of six times or there were at least six rounds uh, discharged according to the official report um, another anomaly before we wrap up here is the, the naked man arrested in Watertown. Have you, uh, I haven't been able to find any, who that actually was. Now I'm willing to believe that in the whole hullabaloo and everything that was going on, this guy happened to get caught up in the, you know, in in the, what they call fog of war or the, the initial craziness when an event like this happens, but it's weird that the aunt identified him as one of the Zernayev boys, and then another relative did, and then maybe it changed, but to my knowledge, that that naked guy's never been publicly identified in Watertown. Have you heard anything in the last 10 years on that? Any follow-up? You
1: know, I, I, I don't remember, as I say, a 10 years is a long time. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I think we maybe did figure out who that was. I sort of vaguely recall that we figured it out, but I'm not I don't know if it's ever been publicly uh, named, yeah. but it is a weird scene, and and he did look a lot like Tony It was it was a strange thing for sure.
0: Yeah, that was really weird. But uh, you're not
1: like Tony I I mean, like like uh, like Tamerlan.
0: Tamerlan, right? Yeah, like Tamerlan. So, yeah, God, I wonder what Uncle Ruslan's up to these days. You know? Oh yeah, who knows? They'll get him in the sequel series. You losers! You you are losers. All right, folks, well, we're coming up on an hour here with Russ Baker. Uh, Let me just take a quick look at the chats before we um, sign off here. Uh, Let's see. We have a comment here from Baron: Shooting Jakar in the throat and not letting him speak to anyone for 10 years makes me suspicious of the narrative. Well, I don't think that happened, right? Oh no, he was shot in the boat, right? He he, he was yeah, he, right, dad. right. He
1: could not he, he couldn't speak. Remember in the in the uh, in the hospital, they gave him a pad and he wrote things on there.
0: That's right, that's right. Wow.
1: And by the way, we don't know. You know, they talk about his bad behavior, like he's in he's in prison and he goes up to the camera and he and he gives a oh, finger. The bird. You know, but I mean, honestly, if there was more to the story, I'm just saying, if there was, and if he felt that he was being railroaded, of course, he's going to be angry. Uh, And, you know, even when he scribbled on the on the uh, legal pad, you know, you you know, I know my rights or screw you or whatever. I mean, I don't know that that proves one way or another that he, uh, you know, wanted to make bombs, made bombs, was capable of making bombs. I'm not sure you can I don't think you can conflate all these different things necessarily.
0: Yeah, no. I think it would be very worthwhile, uh, very important, and very valuable to have. Whether you can get a written, you know, I don't, I don't know what the certain inmates are allowed to be interviewed, but I mean, uh, I mean Jeffrey Dahmer. There's a ton, there's tons of interviews with him before he was murdered in prison. Um, I just, I think that points to there being some kind of other reason why they don't want this guy giving any kind of interviews or saying anything publicly about this because it might be embarrassing, it might be a cover-your-ass deal, or it could be a cover-up of some kind. And that's not to say that they were involved or knew that these guys were going to, you know, blow up the finish line, but I think it's it's covering up something that, that could be very embarrassing or, or very uh, compromising.
1: Part of the problem is the Patriot Act and related uh, laws where they have created uh, special circumstances where certain people don't necessarily get a lawyer, uh, you know, uh, or they're just put in solitary or they have no right to uh, talk to anybody. You know, they, I mean, one of the other things I think it's important to keep in mind about 9-11 and then again about the Boston Marathon bombing is that it changed our our, our legal system. Mm. It changed uh, what uh, it changed uh, the rights that people have and you know this is a danger to all of us of course because anybody in, in theory can be arrested or accused of something and we want to make sure that there are good safeguards in place and so things like the 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 emotional reaction and you know, I hear from people, and they say, "Oh my God, you know, the, the people who were mutilated by that bomb is so horrible." So as soon as they think that, then then no discussion like this has any validity to them. They just, right. you know, they just again hang them, hang them, hang them. You know, and so if you try to talk about the facts, like like the very uh, 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 the, the very uh, uh, societal uh, you know compulsion that comes out of uh, the the reaction to these types of things changes everything and can make uh, our lives much more difficult. Actually, when they're claiming they're supposed to be protecting us, so this is always a danger, and we've got to be very much attuned to that.
0: Yeah, it is important to continue having these conversations. And actually, in the documentary, the the, the one enough. Mo- I mean, there was a lot of move. There were moving moments, of course. just as a human being. You're going to see this stuff and and react emotionally to it. Um, was a journalist or investigator who who you found out that his father was on Flight 11, the first plane that hit the World Trade Center on 9/11. God, when he dropped that, that was like, man. So Amazing. I think his perspective, I think, was kind of similar to what we're doing here. We're trying to like get under the floorboards and figure out why these two young guys would do something like this. Tamerlan was my age. He was born in October of 1986, a week after I was born, just about. So. You know, I think in order to stop these things, prevent them from happening again, understand why they happen. You have to have conversations like that. And like you said, it is uncomfortable. And as Americans, we don't want to face a lot of stuff like that. But um, yeah, anyway. And, 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 and
1: one more thing. I mean, let's say you're mad at the U.S. government. Why would you bomb the public? Uh, at a festive thing like the uh, sports event, I mean, I, I, I guess anybody could have an answer to that, but it's not the most intuitive thing uh, that oh. that's how you how you get revenge on Washington by killing random people uh, enjoying a nice day out with their family. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and, the, and the one response though to me that's always been kind of like, ugh, that, that you're really going to get a lot of Joe Public to really get wrapped up in is when they wrap the flag with sports, when they do the whole patriotic thing, you know, wrapped up with the ball game. And they just have a slogan and a narrative. And we say that once a year and we, we we support this group or this person or this victim. And we come out once a year and we say it, and then we just pat ourselves on the back, but we don't really look at the darker implications.
1: Well, years ago, I was contacted by Pat Tillman's family. If you remember the football player uh, who was killed in Afghanistan. uh, And um, they felt that they'd been given a runaround by the government and that they'd also, uh, uh, that Pat and then the family had played a role in government propaganda around the war, and then they themselves had uh, suffered the loss of Pat, and then a cover up as to what really had happened there. So uh, there's a lot of different stories that need to be looked into, and a lot of these threads uh, connect as we attempt to understand the, the bigger picture.
0: Yeah, and Rumsfeld was watching Tillman carefully the whole time. Um... You know that he went into the military to, to walk away from that million multi-million dollar contract so yeah that's true well folks uh we're joined today by russ baker russ thank you so much again for coming on um again please give us your your uh you know uh websites and the information and where people can support you and and find your great work
1: sure thank you very much mike i really enjoyed it uh you can uh uh the news site that i found it is called who what why Dot O-R-G, who, what, why, dot org it's a nonprofit uh publicly supported uh non-commercial news site investigative and analytical site uh i have a sub stack which is a newsletter you can subscribe to it's called going deep with russ baker if you just google going deep with russ baker you can find it uh i have a personal twitter which is uh Real Russ Baker, R-E-A-L, Real Russ Baker. Uh, I have a book that's called Family of Secrets. I won't tell you the whole, uh, the Bush dynasty, America's Invisible Government and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years, Family of Secrets. I think that's about it. Thanks, Mike. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you everybody for watching.